Welcome from whenever and wherever you're watching from. I know that we are like six weeks out from Christmas, but at Element, we decided to decorate because everything was going to go along with the new series we're doing today. So we got our trees and our empty room, which also leads to something else. If you would like to, we are doing a a message only at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And if you would like to come to that, we'd love for you to be able to show up and be part of it. And you could even see the room in person. Uh, On another note, I was meeting with some people this week, and they watched the live stream last week, and they mentioned how I talked about the election. They said, you should do that every week. So just to give you a heads up, since things are still in turmoil, what I'd like to let you know is that we serve a God who is sovereign. And in the end, people are always going to mess things up one way or another. So we need to understand that Jesus is sovereign, he reigns over everything, and we can trust him. Throughout history, really, when the church has had no standing in society is when it has really become the strongest. We've made the most disciples and reached out to people in the world. So no matter how the election has gone, whether you love it or hate it or whatever, we are a people who are to love and serve God above everything. Not that politics is meaningless and and doesn't count for anything, but we are a people who must understand that we love and worship and serve Jesus and man-made institutions are all temporary. So it's be a people who have hope because our God is a God who brings hope. Now, don't forget, in the middle of the message, we're going to put up a slide. The slide's going to have a question on it. You can hit pause during the live stream or the on-demand, whatever you're watching. You can get some coffee, take care of your kids, uh, sit down and journal or ask other people that question. It's all a way for us to help this to connect more as we walk through it. Now, if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. If you're in our local area, we'll come up by GPS in that smart device. If you're not in our local area, type in the zip code 93455, and you will get sermon notes and verses and questions and announcements, everything that goes along with what we're talking about today. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. And if you are so inclined, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Uh, This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's pray. Uh, Father, today we ask that you would move us to a place where we understand better this idea of spirit our spirit, your spirit, what you call us into, how you bring us to life again, and the reasons that we as a people understand spiritual things. We ask that we would grow in our understanding so we could glorify you more and live the lives that you call us into. Amen. All right, so we are starting a brand new series today. If you've been here this entire year, we've gone through the book of Acts, and now we're moving on to something new that kind of comes out of the book of Acts, and it's a subject, or more importantly, actually a person, that many people in Christianity overlook, ignore, or misunderstand, and that is the Holy Spirit. And we're calling this series The Third Wheel, Misunderstanding the Holy Spirit, because most of the time there are whole segments of Christianity, probably almost all of us, that misunderstand the Spirit, or we want to ignore that He exists because we just don't know what to do with Him. It's kind of like a guy and a girl, and they go out on a date, and one of their friends decides to tag along. We call that person the third wheel. It's like, we love God the Father. 
righteous, holy, full of majesty. We love Jesus the Son. Brings hope and redemption and restoration. Some artist's representations have that 80s feathered hair. He has got a robe and sandals like an Abercrombie model. And then the Holy Spirit. Well, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? Most conservative Christians today feel like we've got this great party going on, and who's that third will, the Holy Spirit, that just showed up? Now, we believe that God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, but we tend not to want to look too closely at who the Spirit is or what He does. And I think that's because there's a whole segment of people who have said the Spirit does certain things that maybe He doesn't necessarily do, and it makes people a little bit gun-shy. And we don't want to step into those murky waters, so we just kind of shy away and ignore it. And what I'm going to do today is take this 10,000-foot view, kind of above the forest, before in the next few weeks we dive into the midst of the trees. Because there are some cultural things that I don't think we fully understand about spirit or God's spirit. And so today's message is going to be a little more philosophical for you. Uh, Next week, if you want theology, that's next week. If you're like, I want to talk about the spirit in detail, well, that's going to start next week. Today is kind of philosophical as we look at the idea of spirit and what that means. I'm going to lay the groundwork for some things. Hopefully I don't confuse you, but I might. But this kind of all starts with an idea in John chapter 4 when Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman. The Samaritan is like a half Jew, half Gentile hybrid. They have this theology that's a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of paganism, a little bit of self-help, all wrapped up together. And so Jesus is having a conversation with this woman who has lived kind of the modern lifestyle we see on TVs or movies, meaning she kind of hooks up with a whole bunch of different people, trying to find this sense of inner peace in her life, this spirituality, and nothing seems to work. It's actually left her destitute and alone and ostracized. And Jesus speaks her out, and I'm going to go into depth in this next year as we go through a sermon actually on this, but Jesus seeks her out and has a conversation with her. And in this conversation, he steers her back to who God really is, And he does this with really three words. It's on John chapter 4, verse 23. And this is how he kind of explains God to her at one point. He says, God is spirit. God is spirit. Now, I know that's a little bit out of context for the entire conversation he has, but it's kind of in context for us because God is spirit. But what does that actually mean? Like, what is spirit? What is God's spirit? Who are we in the midst of all this? So we've got to take some time to explore this idea before we jump into the Holy Spirit. And if I asked you to explain spirit to me, it'd be like the video that kind of was a precursor to this message that you saw. Sometimes people don't really know what to say at all. Sometimes smart Christians are like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit, it's uh, the triune part of the Godhead, which is technically true, but didn't ask my question question, what or who is the Holy Spirit? And then so some people come along and they say, it's not him or he, but, but it's the part of God that guides you and comforts you. Well, okay, I mean, the Holy Spirit does do that, but if we go too far that way, it almost sounds like he's a voice in our head that talks to us, and a lot of people are like, I don't want to end up in the asylum, so I'm not going to kind of go along with that. So if I asked you to explain spirit, your spirit, God's spirit, and you can't use any Christianese. You can't be like, oh, the eternally flowing triune Godhead of ever-present relationship spiritness, no Christian words, nothing like that, what would you say? 
and most people don't really know what to say to make a coherent answer. But this is what Jesus will do when he starts to re-explain who God is to this woman in that story. And part of what we need to understand as well is that the people in Jesus' day had a different understanding than we do of spirit. Some things were the same, but they also had some different understandings. Like in Jesus' day, no one would say this thing we say today where it's everybody's spiritual. That would not be something that people then said. Like, do you know that today there's even some atheists who claim to be spiritual? There's actually a website, spiritualatheism.com, and they state this. Generally, spiritual atheists are people who do not believe in a literal God, thus the term atheist, but still consider themselves to be often deeply spiritual people. It's like, hmm, I don't know. I can't explain it either. That's it. Except really just to say we don't understand spirit, and we don't understand spiritual And so if I asked you to do it intuitively just from the world around you and your own experience, how would you explain spirit? And a lot of people get very quiet because they don't want to give a dumb answer. So I'm going to give you my answer, which may be dumb. I don't know. You can judge it by the time we're done in this. But I want to kind of talk about this. And we do, again, have a problem trying to explain what spirit is because of how some people have spoken about him. Some Christians, it leads to a lot of confusion. Like some people today will say about their church, we're a spirit-led church or we're a spirit-filled church or we're a spirit-driven church. And people who don't come from that cultural ideology hear those words, and what they hear is belly dancing in the aisles and barking and laughing, and they think, none of that, that's not my team, I'm not going there. But the people on that other side, when you mention the Holy Spirit, many times they'll start to treat him like that embarrassing relative you keep in a closet somewhere. And it's even become divisive today when we start to talk about the Spirit, and the whole thing comes down to, well, do you speak in tongues or not? Like, that's the litmus test for if the Spirit is actually moving in our lives? The the modern church's reaction to the Spirit is one where we either don't talk about Him because we don't get it, or He's embraced in such a way that He shows up like a spiritual CrossFit workout video instructor. Are you ready for somebody? Come back! And He gets blamed for all the weird stuff. Now, I'm not trying to make fun of people, but hopefully you know what I'm talking about. And I would say, in the end, both sides treat Him like the third wheel because we only want Him to show up in a way that we are comfortable with. And yet, over and over again, the Scriptures and Jesus affirm the Holy Spirit. So how do we explain spirit? Well, I want to go to the most basic understanding of spirit. Uh, If you are not a Christian and you somehow stumbled on Elements live stream or, you know, and that today, well... Great day to show up, I guess. Woohoo! <laughs> Go for you. I'm going to explain this as best as I can. So, imagine you have a time machine, and your time machine isn't a literal time machine, it's a TV where you can look back on different ages. And you look back about 20,000 years on a couple of cavemen. Now, I don't know if that's when cavemen lived. I'm just throwing it out there, so don't get mad at me for my time frames in this. But you have Caveman Grodd, standard caveman name. Then you have Caveman Larry. Uh, Larry is like the precursor to, you know, the, the get her done and all that, the, the redneck. So they're next door neighbors because in their area there's lots of caves, so a bunch of cavemen live in these caves. Now something happens where they get into some type of disagreement. Uh, Larry smacked Grodd's wife on the head with a club and drug her back to his cave for some one-on-one time. And before your brain go in the wrong space. It's that Larry really likes card games, but his wife won't play card games, but Grodd's wife likes card games, so he wanted some Uno time. So that's, that, that's what happened. So Grodd comes home. He starts sniffing. Where's wife? Looking, I don't know if that's how they talk either, but they're, they're look, he looks around and he ends up at Larry's front door because he finds out that's where his wife is. Then they get in this altercation. There's all sorts of hissing and open-handed slap fighting to show who's got dominance in this. And then Grodd pulls out his club and smacks Larry on the head and Larry goes down for the the count. 
Half an hour later, Larry still hasn't moved. And Grodd is thinking, well, this isn't good. And then, you know, a couple hours later, Larry still isn't moving. And Grodd's like, this is my fishing buddy. What, what have I done? Six hours later, Larry's still lying there. So what does Grodd do? Grodd goes back into his cave and grabs a mirror. Don't judge me for when glass was invented. Walks over, sticks it under Larry's nose. Why? To see if he's breathing. That's why. And if he's not breathing, what will Grodd conclude? Larry's dead. That his spirit has left his body. Now, I know this may not be historically accurate or anything, but going back thousands of years, human beings have had this intuitive awareness that our life is not just our physical breath, but our physical breath is connected to our life. It represents something far, far deeper. Our breath is part of our life. And in almost every language in the world, the word for spirit, if they have one, can be directly traced to the word for breath. In almost all cultures, the word for spirit and breath are even the same word. It seemed like if we can't point scientific or theological reasons for it, there's this understanding that life is a force granted to us, and when we no longer possess breath, we no longer possess life. Life and spirit are directly connected in us being able to take a breath. So if you go to the Old Testament scriptures, they were written in this language called Hebrew. And there are a couple of words for spirit in Hebrew. The first one is called nephesh. You know what that translates to? To breathe. That's what it translates to. It's used over 750 times, and it will also be the only Hebrew word, word translated as soul. Then there's another word. This word is called ruah. You know what ruah translates as? Breath. It is sometimes translated as wind or spirit, and it's the image of that breathing, that movement of air that indicates life. Now today, there are some new agey kind of weird people who say, oh, spirit is the vitalizing principle of your life. And though they don't really understand spirit completely, in one sense, that's true. I mean, the spirit that we have is what actually enables us to have life. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, when God, uh, in chapter 2, when God breathes life into human beings, what it says is that God breathes his life and the man became a living soul, a living being. That's that word. It's that breath of God that breathes into us and we have life. Job chapter 12, verse 10, it says, In his, God's hand, is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. And Isaiah 42, verse 5, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit, also translated as life sometimes, to those who walk in it. Now, what is really important to note here is that this word ruah is ascribed uh, to God as well as human beings, but nepes, that word nepes, is uniquely uh, given to human beings. And that's the word where we become living beings as God breathes into us. It's the idea that God breathes into us, so we have spirit, we have life, we have breath. Now, when you go to the New Testament, the New Testament is written in this language called Greek. And there's a couple words in Greek for spirit as well. The first one is this word called psyche. Well, the word psyche comes from this uh, view of spirit and breath and wind. The Jews use that word to translate the Hebrew word nephes in this thing called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a translation of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. So when they translated that word nephes, they used that word psyche. Uh, we will uh, sometimes in the New Testament see this word soul. That is usually that word psyche. It's used about 25 times. And then there's this other word called pneuma. Pneuma. You know what that means? Breath or wind. It occurs 400 times in the New Testament, and the majority of those times it actually refers to God the Holy Spirit. Pneuma was used to translate the word ruah. 
So when we talk about spirit, it is this idea on just this basic philosophical level, what animates us, what gives us life on a deeper level. It is, and so when we want to define the word spirit with no Christian words, you could say that it's what animates all things. And I do use the word it there because I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit yet. So I can say it and, and not him. So here's my slide for my question for you. And the question is this, after all that I've talked about, if I haven't confused you, how would you now define spirit as best as you could, like your spirit? How would you go ahead and do that? All right, so, so moving on, again, philosophically speaking, that we would say that spirit then is like non-material essence. I know it sounds weird, but just go with me. You have material stuff, coffee and cookies and snacks and paper and musical instruments and cars and all those kind of things. That's material reality. But when we talk about spirit, in one sense, we're talking about a non-material reality. Material is good. What you get in your hands on, texture, taste, touch, smell. But there's other realities that are also just as real. And so this is something that transcends our senses. Like we have our five senses, which is taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing. We grasp realities with these, but there's something beyond those that are just as real. It's kind of like this. If you hug someone and you embrace someone, whether it's a family member or a friend or whatever, someone you haven't seen in a while, you, you give them a hug. That's physical. You could feel that. But there's also something that you feel with your emotions inside that isn't physical. It's something that's actually inside. If, if you uh, are romantically involved with anybody and you, and you hold and hug them. It's funny, this week, uh, my wife and I are laying in bed and I reach over and I grab her and I hug her and, and she goes, huh, and I kind of push the breath out of her. I, I thought it was funny because I went with this message, but... She didn't know what I was doing. Anyway, uh, so, but, but I hold her because I love her, but that love is something that is also intangible. It's also something inside of me. We have a shared history and life together. We have material and non-material. And I think when people today say things like, oh, they're very spiritual, they're trying to say that someone or themselves are attuned to something more than what is experienced in the material realm, which also goes back to this weird thing with you know, spiritualatheism.com because they don't believe there's anything more than the material realm. So again, I, I don't get it. it. It's like this high school chant poop used to do, right? We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And we talk about spirit there. It's this, this feeling, that thing that, that wells up because of our pride in our sports team or our school or whatever it is. It's this non-material thing. But when we talk about everybody's spiritual, it also kind of misses the point because that's kind of where a lot of people leave it. There is more to it. Now, as we talked about in the book of Acts, our mentality today is a little bit like the people then and a little bit different. And the ways that it's the same is that we see things the same way. They saw things that there's something that we can't tell with our senses that is bigger than us. And so they believed that there were good and bad feelings, so there must be good and bad spirits in the world. My spirit feels this, so there must be spirits that are out there. They believe that there was a world that was beyond ours that was involved in the affairs of this world. And again, in one sense, that's like Christianity. We believe that there is a bigger world than what we see with our eyes. In Ephesians 6.12, Paul will say, our warfare is not just only against flesh and blood, but there are other forces at work as well. In the historical context of the world that Jesus and the apostles inhabited, it was believed that there is that dark and spiritual world that existed, but many pagans didn't believe that it was ruled over by Jesus. And this is almost the entire book of Ephesians, and what it gets to is that, yes, Jesus does rule over all of that. All the things you think he doesn't, yes, he rules. And so the pagans' response in the ancient world was to try and control the 
spirits. And they got involved in magic to try to manipulate and manage all of those things they didn't understand. And it's still true today. You know, we have lucky charms and rabbit's feet and dream catchers and, and all this stuff. And the weird thing is, is Christians do this as well. Because I don't think we really understand how Jesus is over everything. And so we get little trinkets or we read a book that says, pray this prayer for 30 days and God will give you this thing. That's witchcraft. That's, that's voodoo. It's like we have to try to manipulate God to be good. No, we don't manipulate God to be good. God already is good. But uncertainty, what it does, is it causes people to be fearful. So they try to jump to spiritual things to protect themselves from uncertainty. Plato, in in the Greek world, taught this duality of the physical and the spiritual realms, and that infected culture and the church. Now, as Christians, we know there aren't good and bad spirits. Well, Well, there are, but we call them angels and demons, that demons are fallen angels who refused to serve on God's behalf, rebelled against him because they wanted to rule in the place of God. They're not willing to serve him. But today, like the ancient world, we live in a space now that is dominated by people not following Jesus and yet still claiming to be very, quote-unquote, spiritual. Uh, the United States of America, it's not really filled with atheists. It's filled with people who are spiritual. Statistically, you will find more people in the U.S. today who claim to be spiritual than brush their teeth every day. But who do these spiritual people pray to? What God do they pray to? To them, it's not important at all because it's just whatever you really feel. And, and that's the whole thing. We have so many people who are missing the point of what being spiritual actually means. Why? Well, for us, we have an understanding that there's a difference between spirituality and what God calls us to in our lives. And that's kind of the heart of spirit and who he is and what God's spirit does. But if you went to a bookstore today, I don't know if Barnes & Noble is still even there and slow if COVID killed it or whatever, but there's a huge section that's called spirituality. And what it is, it doesn't matter who God is because spirituality is whatever we feel like it is. There's not a section called God. There's a section called religion, which is about everybody trying to define who God is. But those things typically then make it back into the spirituality section. And the spirituality section is like general devotion to whatever sky fairy is there, even if that sky fairy is me. You know, don't tell us who you think God is because nobody agrees. Let's just be spiritual together. And what has happened today is the same thing that happened in the ancient world. It leads to many gods, whether they're atheists worshiping themselves or not, and there's no clarity, and everyone's doing their own thing, and we become very lost because we don't understand why we even have a spirit. As followers of what God has revealed in the scriptures, again, we believe in good and evil, but we also believe that we are more than just physical beings. We are spiritual beings, but that is meant to be integrated as a whole. We do not believe that any God will do. We believe that God gave us a spirit because we were made in his image. And that's very important because knowing that we're made in his image and having a spirit really in the end means nothing if we don't know Jesus or the living God. And so there's a lot of confusion because of God's goodness that God has granted us great freedom and mercy and grace by giving us a spirit. And people naturally kind of tune into that. They understand that a bit in a couple ways. And first way is individually. Like when someone says something to you and you say, and it was hurtful, you say, oh, that hurt my heart or hurt my spirit. You have a bad breakup. You experience a death. Your heart aches. When we're happy, we're said to be in good spirits. But it also happens communally as a group of people coming together. We're aware many times together of something else that is going on that's bigger than us, whether good or bad. Like when I was a kid, there's this place that I would be taken to. And there were people who would pray and chant these incantations and prayers. And it really felt like this dark cloud started to envelop everything. You could actually feel it. Maybe you've been in a meeting at a workspace or maybe a gospel community or some friends and a couple friends have some animosity against each other. And you can walk in, you can 
feel it. It's like tangible. It's, it's like the vibes. Not that the vibes is a band, but it's this feeling that, that you feel, something we're aware of. How about when a crowd gets out of control and there's a riot, the Lakers win or lose, and, and there's a riot. Everyone gets caught up in the spirit of a moment. You ever listen to a song and it pulls you out of the dumps or maybe makes you sad? All these things are things that affect our spirit, but it's not the spirit. I hope you don't think I'm losing my mind here because in God's view, the true view, the right view, when Jesus says God is spirit, it's not this vague thing that we're always running to to say, oh, everything's spiritual, though I do think it connects at a, a bit. At the heart of the Christian message, there's an affirmation of spirit. But we must understand that our spirits are never meant to live on their own. Our spirits are always meant to be connected to God himself and his spirit. It is God's spirit that fuels all life, dignity, hope, and creation. And so when we speak of God's spirit, it's not only separate and distinct from creation. He is separate and distinct from us, but he is also personable and relatable because he reveals himself to us. There is a reason that God gave us a spirit. Because everything that affects us in our spirit have a purpose. And that purpose was always meant to draw us closer to God through his spirit. We are called to be a people to bring God glory. Uh, God's spirit, when we bring God glory, brings us joy. It draws us in a deeper relationship with Jesus the Father and the Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, one of the affirmations about Jesus by those who spent the most time with him and interacted with him is that he had a a unique connection with the Spirit of God. Now, later this is understood as divinity, but Luke chapter 4 verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus is so connected with the Father that the Spirit of God fills him and leads him into new places. Jesus understands the Spirit better than any of us because Jesus is part of that triune Godhead. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus shows a deeply held conviction that God is infinitely generous, and that's true. But we must understand that God is more than just infinitely generous. God has come to rescue us and our broken, fallen spirit that we many times don't understand, and he longs to restore us back into relationship with him where his spirit comes and gives us all that we have been lacking that we can have a relationship with God because of God's spirit and when that happens God's spirit leads us guides us convicts us embraces us and strengthens us as his children in Luke 11 verse 13 Jesus says so if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him Now, in a Western mindset, we read the word there and we see the word, oh, God's going to give me this thing. It's like God has so many units of this thing and he's giving these away. Well, what if he runs out? Is God's going to be like, oh, I'm out of the spirit. Come back next week. I'll make some more. No, that word for give right there is the same word that's used in John 3, 16, where it says the father so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Was Jesus just an object, a force that got stuck on the cross? No, Jesus was a person who made a decision from the foundation of the world of how he was going to rescue and save us. That's the same word. It's the idea when God gives the Spirit, it's not that God's forcing the Spirit. The Spirit is like, I'm going to go and do this because this is our plan. In John chapter 3, you see God has a Spirit. That Spirit is life, vitality, imagination. Again, it's not that transactional kind of thing. Jesus tells us that God's Spirit, what it brings in us when we become alive again in relationship with Him, it's an endless relational reality. In John 3.34, Jesus says, after, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, he says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Again, gives that the Spirit comes of his own volition. 
And when we are a people who walk with God and saved by his life, we are filled and given God's spirit. And I think it's only then do we get a true and full picture of the awareness that our life is never about us. We have been called to be a people who walk in relationship with God. And we realize that everything we could ever need that God has not only promised to us, but God has also given and provided to us. In John 20, verse 22, Jesus says, Be filled with the Spirit, meaning what Jesus experienced, we also get to experience. We get to experience the leading, the guiding, the restoration, the hope, the feeling, the power of God's Spirit. Because it's meant to bring God glory as His people live in that joy. We come to the end of ourselves and viewing our tiny little spirit as everything the world revolves around and realize everything becomes dependent on Christ and the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Let me talk about this in gospel-centered terms, since we are element. God has given each of us this independent inner spirit. That was meant to bring God great glory as we worship Him individually and corporately. But what did we choose to do? We chose to worship ourselves and try and elevate our tiny little spirit above who God is. And so we became broken. We became sinful. We rebelled against God. We became fallen. And when Jesus comes to rescue us, he takes away our sin to restore us in a relationship with God. And when we talk about receiving the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, it means that we have surrendered to Christ. He has restored our relationship with God, and then he fills us with that Holy Spirit and begins to shape and reshape everything about us from the inside out. The gospel, as the result of the gospel, brings the infilling and indwelling of God's Spirit. It's not just about our little S anymore. It's about the big S, the Holy Spirit, who has come to so re-steer us to who he is calling us to be. Frederick Buechner once wrote this. The common view is that life itself does not care one way or another any more than the ocean cares whether we swim in it or drown in it. In honesty, one has to admit that a great deal of the evidence supports such a view. But the Christian faith flatly contradicts it. To say that God is spirit is to say that life does care, that the life-giving power that life itself comes from is not indifferent as to whether we sink or swim. He wants us to swim. See, it's not that God is indifferent to our plight when we have started to focus on our tiny little spirit. It's that the Father sent the Son. He gave His one and only Son. So Jesus comes and pays for our sins. That's which, among other things, destroyed our spirit and relationship with God and one another. Jesus takes away our sin, restores us to relationship with God and others by dying and rising from the dead for His people. The gospel. And then, what happens? God then gives the Spirit. He sends the Spirit. Jesus has the Spirit come. And the Spirit comes in the midst of this to renew us, to lead us, and to guide us. And this is one of the reasons I think that Jesus uses the word for counselor. I will send you a counselor. And the Spirit comes and he gives us strength to live the life that God has called us to in to Jesus. But it only happens when we understand we have a little spirit, S. And God's Holy Spirit is so much bigger than we are. And he redeems and restores and draws to himself. That's where we got to start before we get into all the theology stuff. So I I hope this is okay. And I hope the philosophicalness of it kind of connects for you just a little bit. One important thing to understand in this ancient world is for the Hebrews, they would have never made this distinction we do today between the physical and the spiritual. They saw us as one being. They saw that there was spiritual and that there was physical, but they didn't see one as bad and the other good. Oh, physical's bad, spiritual's good. They saw it as one integrated whole of who God called us to be. We are a people who are physical and spiritual. We are meant to be one being. And we must learn how to live with those two things coming together. And the only way we will ever do that 
is through the leading and the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. As he takes our broken and fallen little less spirit, restores us to life as he leads and guides and renews us back to life again. Now, I, I understand it, Element, when we talk about communion every week, it, it can get a little odd for where you're at. But one of the reasons we talk about communion is a reminder of what Jesus did to take away our sin, to restore us to relationship with God, because that's the place the Spirit comes and indwells and brings us to life again. And if you would like to, you can grab a cracker or some bread, dip it in wine or grape juice, or drink wine or grape juice along with it as a reminder of what God did to rescue and to save us. And that he then gives us his spirit that indwells us and brings us to life. And we'll start talking next week about all the really cool things that the spirit actually brings and does that many times we just overlook. But this is the remembrance of what Christ did to rescue us in the gospel, to bring us to God, so that we begin to live and walk in the spirit and what the spirit brings and leads us into. If you would like prayer today, maybe you're in a place where you have been focusing so much on your little S spirit. You've been focusing on yourself and just trying to be spiritual and you're feeling just just lost, like you're never going anywhere and you'd love someone to pray with you to introduce you to who Jesus is and who the spirit actually is. Is. Well, we'd love to be able to do that for you. You can send prayer requests to prayer.element.org, connect at ourelement.org. You can even put them on the side of the live stream. But we would love to be able to get in touch with you and pray with you. And so if you have actually any prayer requests, not just that, uh, let us know. We, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, at Element, you know, we talk about how, you know, giving is part of our worship. We understand that God gave us the Holy Spirit. He sent Jesus. He gave his one and only son. And because God is a giving God, we give as well. That's the type of people that we are. Uh, the generosity that we understand that our God is teaches us as people to also be generous. So you have that opportunity. You know, Every time you log into this or look at our website or you can even mail a check if you want to as we distribute to those in need as well. Uh, I would encourage you to maybe grab some of the sermon notes from the link tree, ask one another some questions. Hopefully it spurs some good conversation about what is spirit, how do you define it, you know, what is the Holy Spirit then, and then what kind of questions do you still have centered around that. And hopefully by the end of the series, we're going to answer all of those things. And I hope that in the end, we'll stop calling the Holy Spirit an it, and we will call him a he, and we will understand that he is also God. And that we would worship him like we worship the Father and the Son. And that we would also bring him great glory. Because the Spirit comes to restore, renew, and lead us into joy and new life. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take us as a people. And teach us to understand more of who you are. Father, quite frankly, for a large portion of people who call themselves believers in Jesus, we don't really think about the Spirit that much. Or we think about the Spirit as as a force and not a person. And so, Spirit, I would ask you to come and change our hearts, renew our minds, uh, give us a deep and abiding passion and love for who you are, and that we begin to walk in our lives in the strength that you provide, knowing that all that we have essentially comes from you, and that we would be undone by your gracious goodness given to us, how you have promised not to leave us or forsake us and walk with us into every new place. And that as you lead and guide us, we would look outside of our own little lives, outside of our own little S's, and we would understand the largesse of who you are, that you are so big that we can't ever fully even comprehend it. But yet we would worship you and love you and walk with you because you have first loved us. Teach us to be that people who walk with you, knowing and loving 
and honoring you in all things. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.